Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Yet an article came out in Christianity Today concerning a study. Well, Christmas celebration is a real event, according to most Americans. They just don't expect to know exactly why Jesus was born and came to earth. So here's my question for you. Why was Jesus born? Many Christians don't even believe Jesus was the Son of God. Certainly Jewish people don't believe that. They believe that's blasphemy. But many Christians don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God or that he existed before the manger. So who was he anyway? And why was he born? A new study from Lifeway Research finds close to three in four Americans believe that Jesus was born in Bethlehem more than 2,000 years ago. Even more say Jesus is the Son of God the Father. But less than half believe Jesus existed prior to being born on that first Christmas day. In other words, they believe that apparently either God created Jesus out of nothing or he had sex, as the Mormons believe, and produced Jesus. Most Americans consider Jesus' birth a horoscopical fact. But most Americans believe his origin was from God the Father, but half as many believe he existed before his birth. More than nine in ten Americans celebrate Christmas. For most of those celebrating, Christmas is about a historical occurrence. The average person isn't quite as sure about the Son of God's existence prior to Jesus' birth. About 41% say God's Son existed before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 32% of Americans disagree. 72% of Americans believe there is one true God in three persons. Prophecies such as those in Isaiah 9 reflect that the Messiah would be the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. But very few identify him as a king. Why might that be? I want you to think about that. Some Americans do not connect that Jesus born in Bethlehem with the Messiah who already existed as God, now coming in the flesh. And those who attend church four times a month or more are most likely, as we might expect, to believe each of the statements about Jesus and his birth. 98% believe he's the Son of God, the Father, 95% that he was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, and six. 63% agree the Son of God existed before Jesus was born. But Americans aren't always sure what motivations Jesus ascribed to himself and to his coming to earth. 9% believe the Bible records Jesus saying he came to bring division rather than peace, which is exactly what he said, but only 9% believe that. 8% think he said he wanted to abolish the Old Testament law and prophets, But Jesus exactly contradicted that belief. 
8% say Jesus came to condemn sinners. But Jesus himself said, I came not to condemn sinners, but to save them. Despite widespread belief that Jesus really came to earth as a baby, there's far less familiarity with why Jesus said he came. However, the majority of Americans believe Jesus came to give his life for many, to save his people from their sins. But then what? Then what? That's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint, and I'm so glad that you have joined us. I trust that today's program will be enlightening, hopefully, and will have not just informational import for you, but also transformational import. Because God never called us to be informed, but rather to be transformed, and that by the renewing of our minds, that you and I might, well, that we, you and I might reveal the truth of his word in and through our lives to conform to his word, to his will and his ways. And we're told to seek first the kingdom of God. How is it that in all the discussions concerning who Jesus was and was born to be, not one of them includes the kingdom of God? Did you notice that? Not one. No, not one. And yet, the wise men asked Herod the king, where is he that is born king of the Jews? What did they know that Herod didn't know? And what did they know that you don't know? What did they know that the majority of Christians don't know? And what did they know that the majority of Christian pastors either don't know or refuse to preach about? Born king. That's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint. And again, I'm so glad that you have joined us. What a wonderful time we have to refresh ourselves in the Word of God concerning the birth of Yeshua Messiah. So, here's the interesting thing. When Herod heard what the wise man said, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. That is, all Jerusalem that was involved in the king's sphere. Why were they troubled? Because the wise men were referencing a king. That wouldn't make an existing king very happy, would it? Especially if he felt that this babe to be born as a king would threaten his authority and his kingship and his power, his perks, and his position. So here's what Herod did. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 2. He gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together. In other words, he gathered the head honchos, the head spiritual and political honchos of the Jewish people. Gathered them all together. And he asked them. In fact, he didn't just ask them. He demanded of them where this king, Christ, Messiah, should be born. And they said, that is, the, re, the religious leaders, the, 
the uh, priests and the Sanhedrin, the leaders of Israel, the scribes, they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of you shall come a governor. If you look in your Bible, it's capitalized, governor, that shall rule my people Israel. The reason it's capitalized is because it refers to deity. Yes, it refers to Messiah. But the word governor is used here to reflect actually the very nature of that governorship. He would be king. What does that mean for you and me today? Stay tuned. We're about to find out. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. It was a high-stakes question that the wise men asked King Herod when they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They had no idea what it would stir and the consequences that would echo from that to this very day. To this very day, where is he that is born king? You see, words matter. They really do. For a lawyer, words matter. For God, words matter. For Jesus, words mattered. And they should matter to us. And there's a significance to the specific use of certain words. The word king implies something. It implies something very profound that has life-changing implications which we're going to get to as we move forward with the program here today. So when Herod, King Herod, heard the wise men and it inquired of them when the star appeared that they were following, of course he sent them to go and find out where this baby was so that he could come and worship him, which he had no intention of doing. So we know the rest of the story that the king Herod conspired together to have all the little babies, all the little boy babies in Bethlehem killed, two years of age and under. Just like Pharaoh in the ancient times had conspired together to have all of the Jewish babies, well, Hebrew babies, killed and thrown into the Nile. So as to get rid of any possible leadership it might affect his pharaonic kingdom. Of course, Moses was preserved. In this instance, Jesus was preserved. How was he preserved? Because an angel came to Mary and Joseph and said, you know what? There are some very nasty things that are conspired against you and against your baby. 
I want you to get out of here and go down to Egypt. Get out of Dodge and go down to Egypt. And then I'll tell you what to do and when to come back. So you can read the rest of that story there in Matthew chapter 2. Now it says, when Herod was dead, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, time to go back to Egypt. Excuse me, go back to Israel. Now, interestingly, just an interesting fact. When was Jesus born? Take a guess. When was Jesus born? Most of us, at least from a traditional standpoint, believe that Jesus was born either at 0 or 1 A.D. You know, we call before Christ, after Christ, that kind of thing. But the reality is, apparently, history says that King Herod died in 4 B.C. Now, if King Herod died in 4 B.C., and he had to be there for the wise men to approach him concerning where is he that was born king of the Jews, Jesus must have been born at least in 4 B.C. or maybe 5 B.C., which means that his life continued only not to 33 A.D., but most likely to a maximum of 30 A.D., 29 or 30 A.D. Just a little interesting tidbit there of information. But we're deviating from the point. Born king. Where is he who is born king? I want you to shift in your thinking with me to the book of John, chapter 19. We're shifting from the birth to the end of the story. Well, almost the end of the story. John chapter 19 talks about the finish, the culmination of Jesus' life. He was born to be king. But then the Romans didn't like him. The Jewish leaders didn't like him. They said, he's going to take away our position and our power and our perks. And so they conspired together using an argument of political correctness, conspired together to seduce the Roman governor, Pilate, to convict Jesus and crucify him. They said, if you don't convict and crucify this man, you're no friend of Caesar. In other words, even though the Jewish leaders hated the Romans with a purple passion, they nevertheless pretended an allegiance to the Romans in order to kill Jesus, their king. They said, away with him, crucify him. We'd rather have Barabbas. Give us a murderer. Give us a robber. We'd rather have him. So here's what Pilate said in John chapter 19. It's very interesting, and it's worthy that we take a look at this. It was the preparation of the Passover on Wednesday, about the sixth hour, 
And Pilate said to the Jewish leaders, Behold your king. Now here was their response. Listen very carefully. But they, that is the religious leaders, the revered, trusted spiritual leaders of Israel, to whom Jesus had come as Messiah, said, Away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered with this answer, Please listen carefully. We have no king but Caesar. Now they despise Caesar. Caesar was head of the Roman Empire that was keeping Israel, the Jewish people, under its thumb, and they despised them. But here they turn around, these leaders, with the most hypocritical statement you could possibly ever imagine coming out of their mouths and say, we have no king but Caesar. So they delivered him, then delivered Pilate to them to be crucified. Now, it's not over yet. This matter of the kingship is not over yet. So they crucified him, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And here was the title. Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Well, they had already said, we have no king but Caesar. But Pilate, who represented Caesar and the Roman Empire, said, this is what I'm putting. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, this title was read by many of the Jews. To Pilate. And so here's what they said. Don't write the king of the Jews, but rather that he said, I'm king of the Jews. Pilate had enough of their chicanery. He knew that but for envy they had brought him, as he had already said. And so Pilate answered them, what I have written, I have written. Do you know what languages that was written in? It was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Why? To cover every major language of the then known world. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. In other words, the declaration, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, was announced to the whole world, not just to the people in Israel. This is a big deal. If we really understand the significance of what took place here, this is huge. Now, from the birth to the death His kingship, Yeshua, Jesus' kingship as Messiah, was declared. Now we shift from there 
to understand the history of this kingship. And from here, it may be that some are going to have a revelation. So from here, we go to Genesis chapter 14. You say, Genesis chapter 14, that's going all the way back to the beginning. You got that right. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 20. It's important for us to understand this, and we're about to reveal one of the hidden mysteries of the Bible. One that's intended by God to be understood. Here's the background, the backstory. In Genesis chapter 14, there were five kings that invaded the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, And they took the property and wife and who knows what else belonging to Lot that was Abraham's son. They took them and took off, captured them, took off. When Abraham heard about this, Abraham was Lot's uncle. Abraham gathered together 300 of his extended household and family and those trained servants, and he went after them. You say, well, what does this have to do with Jesus being king? Oh, it has everything to do. Wait till you hear it. So he brought all these goods back. And verse 17 of Genesis 14 says... And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, wait a minute. Who is this Melchizedek or Melchizedek? Who is this? Well, he's king of righteousness. That's what it means. Melchizedek, king of righteousness. But it also says he's king of Salem. What does the word Salem mean? It's the same word as the Hebrew word shalom. Do you know of a city in the world? Some say it's the central city of the entire world by that name. Yes, it's called Jerusalem, or Jerusalem, the city of peace. Salem. So Melchizedek was king of Salem. And he blessed Abraham, said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Now, why is this important? Who is this Melchizedek? Who is this Melchizedek, the king of righteousness? Well, we learn a little bit more about this. If we go to the Psalms, Psalm 110, and we'll find out a little bit more about this fellow. It's important that we know, because the Apostle Paul talked about him in considerable detail 
helping us to understand how it related to Jesus, born king. Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Who is the Lord to make the enemies the footstool? Jesus. So when he goes on to say, the Lord has sworn you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, he is declaring that Jesus, born king, is of the order of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, still a king. We'll be back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. All right, we're about to see a part of this mystery unfold concerning Messiah, who was born king. And I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Our viewpoint does determine destiny, and we need to understand the fullness of why Jesus was born. He was born not just to save his people from their sin, but something way beyond that, to be king. He was born to be king. Now think about it. In the book of Isaiah, chapter chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, we have the famous passage, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So we have his sonship there. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We love those titles, don't we? Of course we do. We love those titles, and they are true titles given to Jesus as Messiah. The Son of God, his name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor, the Mighty God. Oh, think about that. The Jewish people who had none of that, they call that blasphemy. The Prince of Peace? The Everlasting Father? Oh, my goodness. But why does it not say King? Well, perhaps we can get an understanding about this when we go to the next verse. Of the increase of his government 
Now, we're talking about the same person, this baby, this child that was to be born, of the increase of his government and peace. Notice the relationship between genuine peace and the baby's ultimate government. The increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. In other words, it would be an eternal, everlasting government. To, and it's going to be, he said, upon the throne of David. Well, who was David? David was the second king of Israel. The first king of Israel refused to obey God, and God took the kingdom from him. The second king of Israel, God called a man after his own heart, David. In spite of his weakness, in spite of his sin, he repented. He humbled himself. And God called him a man after his own heart and swore that it would be upon the throne of David that his kingdom, not David's kingdom, but God's kingdom, would be established forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Now, if this is a kingdom, a kingdom has to be ruled by what? A king, right? Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom. Why is it that we tend to miss the kingdom? Jesus didn't want us to miss the kingdom during his ministry. He said, look, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why was it necessary for him to say not just the kingdom of God, but his righteousness? Would you like to know why? Because he was called Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. That's why. So Jeremiah, in his prophecy, said his name shall be called king of righteousness or the lord our righteousness are you beginning to see how these threads now are coming together so we go to hebrews chapter 7 and if you didn't have this background it might be a little bit confusing to read hebrews chapter 7 so we're going to move in through it very quickly so that you can understand the linkage of this kingdom and kinghood, shall we say, all the way back to Abraham and Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all, in other words, Abraham tithed before there was any command for tithing, And this king, being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem and king of peace. So Melchizedek represented king of righteousness, king of peace, together. But he was also the priest of the Most High God. Notice now, Melchizedek represents something more than just a king. He represents a priest. So Yeshua 
who came after the order of Melchizedek, came as both king and priest. So there's only one thing missing, prophet. The Bible tells us that the people recognize Jesus as a prophet. And for that reason, the Jewish leaders were afraid to arrest him because the people revered the prophet. So Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. He was priest to represent the people to God. He was prophet to represent God to the people. But he was king over all and all creation. Therefore, the priesthood had to change. The Aaronic priesthood had to change because the Levitical or Aaronic priesthood was under the law. But Melchizedek preceded the law because he was in Abraham. Therefore, the priesthood had to change because Yeshua came not under the Aaronic priesthood, but from Judah. And it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. And he came after the similitude of Melchizedek, as the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 7. For he testifies, you were a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. You may want to go back and read the balance of Hebrews chapter 7 in order to get the total picture there. But we have to tie these ends together. You see, the problem with our reading of the Bible is we seldom really tie or connect the dots. So we're going to connect the dots even more so. I want you to turn, if you're in anywhere near your Bible, to Psalm chapter 2, verse 6. Psalm chapter 2, verses, verse 6. You don't normally think of the Psalms as prophetic. And yet, many, if not most, of the prophetic part, passages in the Bible are found in the Psalms, believe it or not. Except for Isaiah. Psalm 2 is very unusual. It's very short, only 12 verses. It asks the question, why do the heathen or nations rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. But he that sits in the heavens is going to laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. And he's going to speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure, saying, listen to this, saying, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. First of all, he declares that the temple mount is his hill. Doesn't belong to the Muslims. Doesn't even belong to Israel. It belongs to God. That's where he chose to place his name there. 
And that's where he chose to place his king. He said, I have set my king on my holy hill. You say, I don't see him there. I don't see Jesus there. Well, that's the problem. You haven't read the scriptures. If you had read the scriptures and saw them through the eye and mind of God, you would know that with God there is no time. Therefore, if God has spoken, it's as good as done. Therefore, from God's perspective, Jesus, the baby born in the major, is already king. And it's just a matter of time from a human perspective to see that realized. But from God's perspective, it's an eternal truth. He said, you are my son. This day have I begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Hmm. You'll break them with a rod of iron. Now, therefore, listen to this psalmist. Now, therefore, you kings, talking to the kings of the earth, be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, Kiss the Son, capitalized Son, S-O-N. Who is that? That's God's anointed King Messiah. Lest he be angry and you perish for the way when his wrath is kindled just a little. But blessed are all they who put their trust in him. Now these are the words of the psalmist in chapter 2, verse 6. Now, if we were to go to the book of Isaiah, where we have already been, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, we're going to find him talking again about this king. Isaiah chapter 32, verses 1 to 3. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. And the eyes of them that see shall not be dim, and the ears of them that hear shall not uh, shall hearken. Oh, who's he talking about here? He's talking about the Messiah, Jesus, who was born king. A king shall reign in righteousness. What was Melchizedek's name? King of righteousness. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Born King. That's what the wise men asked. Where is he that is born King of the Jews? 
Herod didn't like it. He was under the thumb of the Roman government. He played games as a Jew, but also played games with Caesar. The Jewish leaders played the same game. They pretended to be under the rulership of God, but out of their own mouths they said, we have no king but Caesar. Those words are going to come back to haunt the Jewish people in ways they have never, ever believed. In fact, the words of many people are going to come back to haunt them. Because we're coming down to the end of the age, if you hadn't realized that yet. Back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 32, where he said, Behold, a king of shall reign in righteousness. This is Melchizedek, king of righteousness. It goes on to say, And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of that righteousness shall be quietness and assurance forever. I want to ask you a question. Do you desire peace? Do you desire quietness and assurance for your life, for your family, for your congregation, Pastor? There's only one way to get there from God's perspective, and that is through righteousness, the work of righteousness. Now, Jesus did the work of righteousness because we were incapable of doing the perfect work of righteousness. As the Israelites proved, they never kept the law. Jesus did. So he became the Lord our righteousness. Perfect obedience. And because of his obedience, the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, He humbled himself and became obedient even to the death on the cross. Wherefore? Wherefore God, the Father, highly exalted him, gave him a name that was above every name, that the name of Yeshua, Jesus, every knee should bow both in heaven and earth. What does that represent to you? That's his kingship, my friends. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, which in that instance means King of righteousness, King of peace. It's unbelievable. Well, at least it remains unbelievable to the Jewish people and to most Gentiles, notwithstanding their belief in Christmas, notwithstanding their belief that the baby was born and historically what that meant. But it doesn't mean anything to most people in terms of their own lives. That's why they have no peace. That's why they don't have quietness and assurance in their hearts. This is not about making a confession of faith, as many people like to say. This is about a complete turnover of your life and submission to a king. He wasn't born just to be your savior. He was born to be your king. So that he could rule in quietness and in righteousness and peace so that you would have assurance. 
This is where real assurance comes. Not by some blithe confession of faith. It's a life thing. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament is a reiteration or a restatement summary of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. When you go back and read it, you'll see what I'm talking about. Now, in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22, he goes on to say, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Do you know what a, what a king, a king in a monarchy is the ultimate appeals court? There is no appeal beyond the king. In a monarchy, it's not a democracy. The king rules. What the king says goes. That's why we need a righteous king. From God's viewpoint, that is. Not a righteous king from our viewpoint that puts up with our disobedience and rebellion. But one who will judge the world in righteousness. That's the one who will truly save us. And so... We move from there to Zechariah chapter 9. We could look at many, many other passages, but the book of Zechariah contains many of the important prophetic passages uh, in the Bible, and I urge you to read it because you will find, you will have your eyes opened uh, to many things there in the book of Zechariah. In the book of Zechariah chapter 9, it reads... Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you. He is just, having salvation, but lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of the donkey. Your king, capitalized, comes to you. He's just. That means he's righteous. The Lord, our righteousness. This is the ultimate Melchizedek, riding on a donkey, coming in humbly to save the people. The Jewish leaders were not expecting such a king. They wanted a king like uh, the Maccabees. They wanted somebody to come in and crusade against the Romans and restore their power, their perks, and their position as the leaders of the Hebrew and Israeli people. But he didn't come that way. But he did come as a king. David had come in on a donkey into Jerusalem. Jesus came in on a donkey to Jerusalem, not a white stallion. Then we find in John chapter 12, in the New Testament, the same picture. This is Jesus, the king of the born king. John chapter 12, verses 10 to 16. But the chief priests consulted they might put Lazarus to death. Why? 
because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went and believed on Jesus. In other words, they didn't want Jesus to rule over them. They wanted Caesar to rule over them so that they could protect their power, perks, and position. Then, the scripture goes on to say, On the next day, many people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the capital K, King of Israel, that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king comes sitting on a donkey's colt. So, who is the king? Why was Jesus born? He was born to be king. He was king when he was born. Why? Because God, the Father, had determined and anointed him. That's what Messiah means, the anointed one, had anointed him as king. To be king over Israel, to be king first over the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to whom the initial promise was made, and to whom Melchizedek, king of righteousness, had shown himself as a pre-incarnate vision of Christ himself. Are you starting to make the connection now? We're connecting the dots so that these things are understandable. Because if we do not understand fully and completely that Jesus was born to be king, we miss the point. If we think he was just born to be a priest, that's good, but not good enough. He was born to be a prophet. That's good, but not good enough. You see, the priest represents the people to God. Jesus did that. The prophet represents God to the people. Jesus did that. But Jesus is more than that. He is king. Now, to say that Jesus is king is one thing. For him to actually be king of your life is something else. We can blithely say, yes, Jesus was born to be king. But it doesn't mean anything. It's just a fact a spiritual fact. How is it changing my life? This is where the real issue is. How is the fact that Jesus was born to be king changing your life? How has it changed it up till now? He didn't come just to save you from your sin. He came that you would live a life of righteousness in his kingdom. For Jesus to be king, Messiah, king, the anointed one, he has to be sole and complete ruler of your life. The people that say, I don't believe in that lordship salvation, are actually playing games with the truth. What they're really saying is, I want salvation on my terms I want to confess Christ, but I want to live like I want. 
I don't really want Jesus to be king. That's what they're really saying, in effect. Quite frankly, that's why the church is in such a mess in America today. We don't want Jesus to be king. Because a king has absolute control or declares the absolute truth of God, his king. Therefore, if we diss what the king says, we're rebels. We're not his subjects. We're not seeking first his kingdom. We're seeking first our own kingdom or the world's kingdom. We're seeking first the Antichrist kingdom. And that's exactly what the Jewish people are going to do. Jesus warned them. He said, look, I came to you in my Father's name. And you didn't receive me. You didn't want my kingship. You never have wanted our kingship. You wanted a king like all the other nations. And now you've said you want Caesar. Okay? So you're going to get Caesar. He said, I came to you in my father's name, and you rejected me. But there is one coming in his own name, and him you will receive. Now, who is that? That's his counterfeit. That's the counterfeit king called the Antichrist. Have you heard of him? The majority of people will not recognize him. You know why? because they really don't want a king. They'd rather have Caesar. And they're going to get Caesar. And it ain't going to be pretty. You'll have no assurance. It's time for us to recognize Jesus as king. King of my life, I crown thee not. Thine shall the glory be. In order to understand the depths of this, I urge you to go to my book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. You don't understand this, friends. You're going to get trapped. I'm sorry. The seduction is so great. $22 will put the book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Antichrist, how to identify the coming imposter. God bless. Remember, Jesus, Yeshua was born king. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.